this week on the Roommates Podcast. He's not their knight on a horse. He is their co-partner. And he has his, he's as weak as a woman is weak. Mm. And he's as strong and as strong as she is. But they, because they're different about the ways they do it, if you give each person space to show you how they are gentle, how they do love, I think, I don't know, I think men love better than women. I'm not talking sexually. I'm, oh, okay. I'm talking. I'm talking about their um, their commitment. And if you have to be sure he really loves you, I think there's a lot of guys that talk the talk. Um, but I think once a man truly loves a woman, she better really hold up her end. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Just what I'm saying. I've been with this guy forever that I'm married to. What's good, everybody? This week's podcast is brought to you guys by our sponsors over at Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning community with thousands of amazing classes covering dozens of creative and entrepreneurial skills. You can take classes in everything from photography and creative writing to design, productivity, and more. So whether you're returning to a lifelong passion, challenging yourself to get outside your comfort zone, or simply exploring something new, Skillshare has classes just for you, and we've been telling you guys so much this year. Make sure you hop on Skillshare. So many dope, amazing classes. You guys will love it. So be sure to join the millions of people on Skillshare today with a special offer for the roommate community. You guys get two free months of Skillshare Premium. Use the offer code roommates at checkout. Go to Skillshare.com slash roommates. Two free months of Skillshare Premium. Check it out. Trust me, guys. You won't be disappointed with all the things that you'll be able to learn. What up, everybody? It's your boy, Hafiz. First to start the show, baby. Yes, and we are back, and we are back in the place where it all started. Houston, Texas, baby. I miss my home so much, man. So good to be back. Yo, how does it feel, man? Oh, man, it feel like, uh, you know, feel like the Lion King. (laughs) Simba's returned to Pride Rock. Exactly. Uh, The prince has returned, um, but I feel good. It's a little teaser, though, because we're not here a long time at all. Yeah. But, um... It's always good to be back at home. Yes, 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 yes. Um, what about you? Man, this is a... <laughs> <laughs> Wait. This place has a lot of memories, you know? <laughs> this, especially this place. This place, yes. you know, our first house that we all lived in, most people don't know. Oh, my God. Me and Chris were legitimate roommates years back. Yeah. And that first house we stayed in is literally two minutes down the street. Yeah. I kind of want to drive by <laughs> Last time I saw it, it was like a whole family of like five kids running around. Uh, I was like, they don't understand what damage we did to the house. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Gosh. what I wanted to do, being back in Houston, I wanted to really talk to somebody mm-hmm. who has played such a pivotal role in this podcast. Yes. I remember it was... The beginning of first episode of season two. Yep. And this beautiful woman came on the podcast. And I've never gotten so many reviews. I've never gotten so many feedbacks and positive things from one person yep. before. Yep. And everybody loved her. Yes. And then months later, for some reason, a video clip of her on our podcast went Crazy viral. Went crazy viral. <laughs> I've seen at least five different places where it's had over a million views. Yes. And it really helped jumpstart our show to where it is today. Mm-mm-mm. This person has one of the greatest souls of all time. She's everyone's favorite therapist. Yes. Someone that's near and dear to our heart. Yes. Please welcome back to the show, the one and only Mary Jo Rapini. Uh, yes. Thank you, guys. <laughs> that's so sweet. 
I'm not sure all that's true, but I really know uh, all of it's true. true. It's but I do need to tell you, every time I come on this show, I get so many Instagram messages <laughs> like Mary Jo. Yeah. I, I don't think they expect me to be on the podcast oh. with you guys. I don't know why. <laughs> it's like, Mary Jo, we heard you on the podcast. Have you heard of the podcast called Roommates? And I'm like, uh, yeah, <laughs> I've been on it. I love it. So... Gosh. So, Mary, how it's been about a year since we've all been together. Yeah. How has life been for you in this past year? It's been a real year of growing. Lots of things have changed. I, um, my practice, I've tried to limit it more. I started a YouTube station or channel that is going really well. I'm trying to keep it, um, advertising free mm. but that's very difficult yes, because it it's um easy it's much better for my whole team if we advertise but we're trying not to trying to do the good fight right now yeah. we do homework so we're i'm always looking for ways that i can help clients at a low cost and this homework we sell for 199 her homework assignment and then they can talk to me about it so I'm like okay you can't get therapy anywhere for that yeah. uh, my family has grown I have a daughter and I have a new baby oh, wow. and the baby is almost a year she wow. was born early on November 2nd or 6th I'm sorry last mm. year so wow. it's a real big addition to our family and just a very graceful one so very excited. Congratulations. Thank Congratulations. you. That's Thank amazing. you so much. That's yes. Amazing. And I've been traveling almost as much as you guys. Oh, like wow. really, really traveling. And I love it. But it's very important for me to have an anchor, a base, and Houston is my home. So that's awesome. Yeah. So Chris, how has the past year been for you? Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Lord, man. The past year for me, uh, Mary Jo has been it's been crazy. Yeah. I feel like the stock market, just a lot of ups and downs. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, experiencing winter for the first time in my life was was a shock. Like, And where did you do that? In Illinois, it, right? Uh, Indianapolis. Uh, Indianapolis. Yeah. So, That's bad enough. Right, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're lucky you weren't north of there. Uh, true, true. Yeah. So it, like, mm. The crazy thing is, like, I'll be seeing, like, Houston, like, all on my feet complaining about 40-degree weather. Yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> I, I wish it was 40 degrees yeah. where I was at. Like, 40 was like my new 60. So every right. time it was 40 here, it was always 20 in Indianapolis. Right. And it was my first time dealing with 20-degree weather every day. Yeah. And I, it was extremely hard to, to get used to. I don't think I ever get used to it. Um, They're a hardy people up there. Oh, yeah. They're very hardy. I love that about the Midwest. Mm -hmm. They they have gone through a lot and suffered a yeah. lot, but it has not dulled their spirit. They're just gritty. Yeah, they and just get up tough. and keep going. Like, yes. oh, it's snowing? Okay. I'm they're like, I don't want to drive with the snow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm not driving with like, Everybody thinks the snow is so cool until it starts melting and get dangerous. And yeah. Yeah. Like, nah. Mm -hmm. So it's been, it's been really wild rides. I mean, the podcast has been been having some great moments and having mm -hmm. some frustrating hard moments mm -hmm. um so obviously that gets to our mental state so you know we have seasons where we're super happy proud of ourselves and it's like man what the crap are we doing wrong like why haven't we you know grown or why haven't this worked out and mm -hmm. you know then we had some issues like going mm -hmm. through some things and and it's just been really really taxing but we feel like you know god has a plan obviously and um and we can make it through what we made it through this year, you know, not being in the same city. It's just like once we know what our plan is and how we're going to attack it, it's going to be, you know, the sky's the limit for us. So. I love that. I think God kind of throws those at us once in a while, those tough times, just to say, deal with this. Mm -hmm. Deal with this with as much forgiveness and grace as possible. Yeah, it was, it was so hard because, you know, we were dealing with it so long and so much. Like, mm -hmm. we was asking ourselves, okay, what's the lesson? Like, what are you thinking? Yeah, right. like, like, I get it. Like, yeah. okay, you know, so, you know, it's been tough. Fees, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> you know, this year has been a really, really great year. It's been like chock full with so many different lessons mm. and mm. I've grown a lot. I've learned so much about myself. I've learned so much about life and 
You know, similar to Chris, it's been ebbs and flows. Overall, it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. I think looking at the grand scheme of things and having a better perspective on life, I just know it's been really amazing. Mm -hmm. But it's been definitely challenging, a lot of different things, like having to go back into the past and deal with old issues for the first time, having to run a business for the first time, having to, you know, just be on tour and traveling the country and not really have stability. And that's something that, like, when you talked about coming home to Houston and that being mm -hmm. your rock, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is in the past seven years of my life since I graduated college, I haven't had that. And I literally did a deep dive, and I, and I realized I've, I've lived in seven different cities, and I've worked nine different jobs in the past seven years. And... I realized that not having that stability and that consistency has affected me in more ways than I could imagine. So, yeah, so this year, the biggest, I think the biggest theme of this year has been self-awareness for me and just, just beginning that journey of constant growth and improvement. So that's where I've been at. I love that because I think self-awareness is the key to to for all of us to improve and really uh, that's our mission in life is to continue to grow and improve and I really like the way you guys are vulnerable with saying you know it had ebbs and flows because I think in this culture a lot of times we only talk about the positive because we try to keep our failures to ourselves, like they're shameful they're not shameful at all I mean if people don't have don't make mistakes and if they don't have falls I kind of question how deep they can be or how in tune they really are with what's going on with them no that's good and i my question to you is why do you think people struggle so much with self-awareness and honesty because that's something that like you said on the show me and chris have been forced to be radically transparent and vulnerable about where we're at mm -hmm. and how we are and how we feel. But I've realized for a lot of people, they struggle with that self-awareness, really understanding who am I, how do I feel, and what do I want out of life. There's so many noises, whether it's from families, friends, the media, that's projecting these messages into their minds that they're now accepting as their own, but they struggle with understanding what do they really feel, what do they really want, and who they really are. You know, I I think a big part of it, well, of course, is cultural. You know, we only want to talk like if somebody gets a divorce, what's the first thing you think? What? You guys were so happy. How do we know they were so happy? Mm. The stuff they posted on social media. Because no one posts the truth. No one posts about the two people, what they really look like, where they really slept, and what love really like looks like. And I think that happens in our day-to-day. -day. It's so much easier to just glaze over it and not admit it because somehow we take it as shameful to us, as I alluded to earlier. Take, it makes us feel bad about who we are. A lot of that it depends, too, how we were raised. If you were raised with critical parents or parents who always found fault with you, then your inner critic is always on and you can't shut it off. So usually when some when a mistake happens, you start looking at yourself or the other person. You know, who can I blame in this situation? Because surely it couldn't be me. Hmm. So you think, uh, do you think self-awareness is a direct link to the past as far as like how we raised and how we were brought up? So if, if I were your client, I'm saying I'm having a hard time going through or I'm looking at myself, so like going through self-awareness, what are some of the questions that you would ask me or I need to ask myself to really deep dive into how much my past has affected me? Well, I, that depends. A lot of people, when they tell me they're practicing self-awareness, and I don't know if this is you, they try to practice how, like when someone says something to them, how they respond. But self-awareness is actually staying in the present. And it's watching all things. It's watching your environment. Like when I draw drove over here. I had I have no idea how my car got here today. It just was on automatic. And I think of self-awareness as taking us 
out of automatic. Mm. And if you came in today, I would say, you know, what what do I look like today? Like when you're talking to me, are my eyes engaged with you or are they going all over? I would start at that point because before you can be self-aware of yourself, you have to be aware of others and what facial cues they are. I think this is part of the reason texting has really stunted our ability to be self-aware because we write stuff. I can write stuff to any of you guys. I'm not seeing how your eyes look. I'm not noticing if you look stressed. I don't even know where you are. I'm just texting how I feel. It's all about me. And my biggest issue with relationships right now is no matter what the guy or the woman says during therapy, the other partner will somehow make it about themselves because they've lost the ability to be self-aware, to say what he's saying is hurtful, and the reason it's hurtful is I watched his eyes when he said it. So I would just start with a very simple exercise. When you, when you practice self-awareness, you need to not look at your screen. Your mm-hmm. screens need to be put away, and you need to focus on what I'm saying and what my eyes look like when I'm saying them and what your immediate reaction is. That would be a very good way to start with self-awareness. And also asking yourself, especially for for women who grew up, and men too, but men don't usually present it this way. Women who grew up with poor mothering will use food. And so they basically numb out. They're never self-aware of what they're eating. I want to know what people feel like before they eat. Like, what are you eating? What for guys, what are you drinking? Why are you with this person tonight? Many times when men go through a breakup or a hard time or they feel bad about themselves, their first impulse is to hook up with somebody. But if you were truly to ask them, what, what do you want this person to do for you tonight? If they were honest and truly self-aware, it would be really sad. It, it wouldn't be what was in their best interest, and it certainly wouldn't be what's in their partner's best interest. No, that's, that's, I, I like, I love what you said. And I think uh, there's a lot to break down, but I want to, I want mm-hmm. to go to, go to the back end of it about the honesty. And I think that that's the part that it's the scariest thing for a myriad of reasons, in my opinion. I think the first reason why it's extremely scary to be that honest is that sometimes when you're honest, you have to look at yourself as the villain and not the victim. Like, I realize that in life there's, like, this duality in essence where for some situations we're the villain we've done wrong, some situations we're the victim we've been wrong. But a lot of times people either accept one or two, one role or the other. One person will accept I'm the villain, so I'm the bad guy who just does bad and they accept that identity. And other people will accept that identity that I'm that victim who's bad always happens to me and they accept that identity. But to really be able to stop and to be honest about what went on, how I'm feeling, and why I'm doing what I'm doing is a really, really difficult challenge because you have to confront that person in the mirror. And I think that's probably been the, uh, the hardest part for, for the year for me, just being forced to constantly confront that person in the mirror. And I know you talked about like putting the screen down. And that's the one thing I, re- I started doing this year was I told myself from... Um, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., no social media, which forces me to actually not have to just go to my phone and just distract myself, but actually sit and reflect and to ask these really difficult questions. And so from your experience, how do you help people become more honest instead of being afraid to dive into the deep, dark parts of who they are? And that's a really good question. And it takes a long time, Hafiz. But, you know, this has been researched and it is absolute fact. When I do something wrong and my partner is offended by it or someone else is offended by it, I get, I get defensive. And I'm like, what? 
I that wasn't my intention. So, and this is true. When we screw up, we right away look at what our intention was, and most of the time it wasn't hurtful. However, when another person screws up, we look at the screw up, mm-hmm. and this causes a lot of problems. We don't give them the benefit of the doubt of an intention. Yeah, and true. so one thing I think when you practice honesty is not only do you have to practice being brave, and confessing and being upfront with yourself, looking in the mirror, as you say. But you also have to give the other person grace. And you can't, anytime you defend yourself, whether you say that was not my intention or whatever, you, it's your ego's way of presenting some dishonesty to your challenge of confessing and saying, you know what? I'm really sorry. I screwed up. And will you forgive me? I honestly think this whole idea of honesty comes from childhood. I think people who are raised with two parents who are educated and who are able to give that child opportunities to mess up and then offer them even better opportunities to confess without shame I think we're so afraid of feeling shameful or or bad about what we did. And I see I see every opportunity in couples to shame the other partner. For example, I work a lot with with the obese culture and I work a lot with bariatric surgery and many times the person so most of my clients not because they're the most heavy ones but it's more emotionally thought of as a correlation I work with women when women are trying to lose weight they will blame their partner if they bring home candy bars or something like that now You always have a choice what you put in your mouth. And I get that it isn't being real supportive if your partner brings home that stuff. But to be, but to project your blame, the shame onto your partner, you're basically making your partner the villain in this. Your partner is not the reason you're overweight. We have to accept it, but that's so difficult because they have been shamed for years because of their body. And I would go as far to saying all of us have been shamed for certain things. That's why we feel so, so good with someone we can be absolutely honest with and not get shame or judgment from them. So if you have an individual who is struggling to be honest with themselves Mm -hmm. and also don't have that much self-awareness about themselves, do you think that person needs to really have a deep dive into themselves before they get into a committed relationship? Or can all that be worked out while you're with somebody? Well, no matter how deep you understand yourself or shallow, the shallow person will not have any luck in a relationship. And what They'll do you mean be by, a shallow person? by someone who is totally unaware of themselves. They they won't have I mean, I don't care how good they look, it will wear off. Mm. Because a long-term relationship people really get to know you. And the more shallow you are, usually you can't sustain it because after the sex and the lust wears off, and it does in a long-term relationship, there won't be any brain or guts behind it. And the brain and guts is the good part. And that's the deep stuff. No matter what, if no matter how deep you are, you can always learn new things about yourself because your partner brings out new things. And these podcasts bring out new things. I mean, I never kid myself. There will be people who listen today that went go, oh, my God. Like, I had no idea. Hmm. No. Um, I want to sit on this, uh, the childhood experiences, because I'm going to get, and you guys don't have to do this, but I think it would be interesting if we can take a minute and share how, 
our childhood influence us because I think I've noticed that especially in good parents, good households and bad households, that it always affects you in some way. And I'm going to tell a story, then I'm going to tell my story, then if you guys would be open to it, to share your story Mm -hmm. as well. Um, I met a woman, and she had really amazing parents. And most people would, like, that's a blessing to have amazing parents. But it was to a point where parents gave so much that there was this subtle sense of entitlement that the parents now had with her and her life. So because her parents had such an influence and a grip on her life, a lot of decisions that she would make, in my opinion, I'm not a counselor, but subconsciously would be to please the parents. And I realized that now, kind of unfortunately, you are not living a life to bring yourself happiness versus you're doing things to make your family happy. And when your family gives you decisions that conflict with your own desires, you then nullify your personal desires, and then you then focus on your personal... I mean, you nullify your desires, and you focus on what your parents want, not leading you to be happy. And it wasn't until this year for me, now going to me, it wasn't until this year for me that I realized how, how the way I was raised shaped the way I interacted with people. Um, because, like, my family was so loving and so kind, and, and, and like, it's, it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. But to me, like, I didn't understand that you, just because your parents are that way, everyone else is going to be that way. So I was always very gullible. I always would believe everybody would be so kind and caring and all that stuff. And I would have really high expectations for everybody because of the household I grew up in, you know? And when people let me down or didn't meet those expectations, it really would hurt and negatively affect me because, in my opinion, oh, you're supposed to do this. And it wasn't until I realized that I created false expectations for other people, which, which, which would lead to me being so sad and frustrated, that I was then able to begin to do that internal work and find out, okay, how can I get better and mature past this particular behavior? So I realized that in the conversation about parent, parenting and childhood, it's not only the really bad parents that somehow subtly affect us, that even the most amazing families and the most amazing of situations can affect us in unfortunate ways if we're not self-aware to be able to look back and figure out why that was so. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's really good. When I was growing up, I was number six of nine kids, and my parents were both ex-military parents. So there was a lot of discipline in my home. Like it was self-control was everything. I thought since my brothers and sisters and I were pretty self-controlled, we were very self-disciplined, I don't ever remember having a curfew. I was raised to believe that was part of life. My mother was in the Air Force, and because of that, she also had that mentality. My mother's influence on me and my father's was phenomenal. My mother was very non-emotional. She was one of these go-to people, like, you, you do your job. She was... Um, the working part of our family, she made she was the breadwinner at a time that wasn't true for most parents, most families. And my father was a labor, but my father was the one who I really talked to, which was also unusual for that time. My father was very philosophical, mm-hmm. and he was very... Um, very emotional. I had a little brother who was 18. He would have been six months older than I. And he, um, no, wait, he would have been 18 months older than I. And he died when he was six months old. And my mother came home from the hospital, and I was too young to remember. But the story is she did the laundry, and my father cried. And when I 
talk to talk, my mother and father both died within three months of each other. They were lifelong partners um, in everything. So when she, um, when I got older, I asked her, Mom, why would you do that? And she said, because I had seven other babies to feed. Mm. And you cannot let your mood affect your task. And that has a bad rap today because we all love to have fun. But the gift my mother gave me was I understand mind shift way before it was cool or written about. I understand when I wake up in a bad mood, that is no reason to have a bad day or to put others through torture. It's no reason to be mean to my partner. It's no reason for me to mouth off at my kids. I am in control of me. And it gave me a very clear path. They also struggled for money every day of their life. So when I was 12, I told myself, I am going to marry, but I will never marry a poor man. Mm. He is going to be educated and as ambitious as I am. And I did that. <laughs> no, no I did that. <laughs> so I'm just saying I do believe in the power of what children grow up with, who talks to them. I also think this has made me, I see mostly men in my counseling. And I think part of the reason I understand men is my father's phenomenal gift. Mm-hmm. He he was very gentle, he was very emotional, but he was also very honest about his anger and his resentment. And and he taught me that men can be gentle, they can be honest, and they can be what you don't always admire, but you can still love them. Mm. That's a big lesson that I think many of my girlfriends need to understand, that the guy is not... They're, he's not their knight on a horse. He is their co-partner. And he has his, he's as weak as a woman is weak. Mm. And he's as strong and as strong as she is. Mm. But they, because they're different about the ways they do it, if you give each person space to show you how they are gentle, how they do love, I think, I don't know, I think men love better than women. I'm not talking sexually. I'm, oh, okay. I'm, talking, I'm talking about their, um, their commitment. And if you have to be sure he really loves you. I think there's a lot of guys that talk the talk. Um, but I think once a man truly loves a woman... She better really hold up her end. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Just what I'm saying. I've been with this guy forever that I'm married to, and I will. He's just surprised. Go ahead, Fees. I know you won't. Go ahead. Go ahead. We'll come back to Chris. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Let's stay here. Yeah. Why do you feel as though in today's world, people hearing you sh- sharing that right now, they believe that's not true? Why do you feel as though so many people have such, have given men such a bad rap in regards to not being able to love people well? I think there's a lot of men who are imposters and they talk the talk. They think they've got this deluded idea that loving is performance and they're confused but love is not a performance love is going the extra mile and being willing to to do the right thing beyond understanding anybody else would say why did you do that and you're just like because it's it was my because I love her. That's what they usually come back to. When I have guys in therapy, I'm always amazed that the stuff they say, their their wives, their wives are not like that. Mm. Their wives are looking for the areas they need to change. And the guys, the guys are misrepresented. The guys have trouble communicating their inner parts and a lot of that is because we haven't as a society accepted them 
we have this idea that guys can't be weak or we we don't somehow respect that. I, I think I, when I say we, I think we as a culture, we've put men up to be something like strong and stoic and non-communicative and cheaters. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of when I think of what women around me think, that's, that's a lot of it. But that is so, that is so off base. But, but then at the same time, when I ask those women, where did you get this? They'll say, my mom, my mm. mom, I, my dad, my dad took off on my mom. And so it's really men that I think have to start walking the walk and other men have to be their brothers and help hold them accountable do you feel as though unfortunately like i said there's there's good people in this world there's bad people there's good men there's bad men there's good women there's bad women do you feel as though that though there's a lot of good men that the bad men get more publicity and the bad men get more attention, and the bad men's stories are told more, which creates these narratives in a lot of people's minds that the bad men are the only ones out there. Because that's the one thing that um, I know is that in the in news, like you're, you're in the news as well, like you know mm-hmm. that it bleeds, it leads. The right. stories that sell the best are the, the negative stories. I mean, it's not the stories about the husband's been faithful for his wife for 50 years, you know, who passed away months after she died out of heartbreak because he loved her. That's not going to make the news. What's going to make the news is the husband who beat his wife or the husband who, you know, abandoned her or cheated on her. So do you feel as though that, unfortunately, there's a lot of bad publicity around the wrong kinds of men, which now cause a lot of women to believe that's all the kind, those are all the men who are out there? I think that's some of it, but I think what's contributing to it too is where you were raised and how you were raised. And I'll give you an example. I grew up in a home where my father and my brothers respected women. And I I was never afraid of men. I'm I was like you, a gullible. I mm. mean, I loved men. I thought I could count on them to tell me everything. They could cry with me. I mean, I really loved them until one day, but when I got attacked by one. Mm. And then everything, like even that didn't change me completely, but I went, oh, wait a minute. You know, this was this was up in Wisconsin, and I thought, you know, I was in a bad area. I started making reasons, excuses, why this man would do this. But then... A couple of years later, I had another close call, and I'm like, okay, so men do this, because I've never been attacked by a woman, mm. you know? So yeah. you basically, and women, when they come toward me, they don't threaten me. Men are bigger. I'm small. Men are bigger. So my first impulse is, if I'm scared, I'm not going to be my loving self. I'm not going to be my trusting self. I'm going to react that way. And then in the news, yes, the people who are bad get a lot of publicity. And there's a lot of men who just want to look bad. Like they're soft as kittens, but they just, I think it's a macho thing. I think their their friends make them feel like, oh, you're a wussy. Like if, you, if you're kind to your woman, you're a wussy. And that's just, That's crazy, but it's true, unfortunately. I mean, boys go through what I consider almost emotional abuse from other guys, from other boys in school. And I don't know what happens to them at home, but I there's a really couple good documentaries about what we indoctrinate boys with because we're looking at all these mass murders. They're all done by boys, right? Mm-hmm. What are we missing as a culture? And I think it's all of us. And I think this is a very real part of it, how they are in relationships. Mm. It's Chris's story time. Mm. Yeah. Well, you all been waiting for it. <laughs> um, so yeah, I grew up, grew up in Houston, um, and it's kind of it's, it's still kind of crazy to me how my parents actually met and fell in love because they're completely two different people. <laughs> so my mom, my mom was uh, she grew up in Tuskegee, Alabama. Um, a lot of successful business owners, college educators, um, just su- successful people in that part of town. 
and she ended up moving to Houston, I think, around college time. And my dad, the Beagle family, are nothing but labor workers. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think I am the only male that has the last name Beagle that graduated from college. Um, so they, they are a lot of plumbers, hard workers, um, truck drivers, you know, that's that's what the Beagles were known mm-hmm. for at partiers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what we're known for. Yeah. Um, so when they when they linked up, I, I I definitely believe that they brought in both of their childhoods to to really raise my sister and I. Um, and my mother used more of like the emotional kind of like tool where it's like, you know, you're going to be okay, yada, 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 don't be too hard on yourself, you know, Jesus make a way, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But what, what she didn't realize was, um, I kind of talked to her about this uh, earlier, um, that she put a lot of pressure on me because she looked at other men in her family and in my father's family and was like, I don't want you to be like this. Oh, man, yeah. Um, so it was, a lot of, it was a lot of phone calls that I would hear in the car ride about, you know, my older cousins or by my uncles about whatever and how bad those guys are doing. And I'm thinking to myself, I cannot fail and let my mom down. Versus my dad, um, he grew up in a very emotionless household. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a strong, uh, the, like his his mom and his father were both strong people. Um, and they used, and they was hard, you know, mm-hmm. discipline. Um, you make a mistake, you know, you're going to get punished for it. Um, and, and I also think my dad was always going for his approval of his father. So you always work, you know, no matter what, you know, he was trying to be the best person that he can be. And I think that, I think subconsciously my dad feels like he hasn't reached his potential mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a human. Um, so on to me, he made sure that I was on a straight and narrow about any and everything. And he kind of used, and he kind of said it like when, when I graduated, he kind of used like fear in a good way to raise me. Like, you know, if you make, if you do this, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. If you do this, X, Y, and Z is going to happen. So I... And then if I do mess up, I would get punched hard for it. And, it was a, and I kind of kind of got I got so many beatings, I got used to the physical abuse. <laughs> you know, I got so used to it. So it was like the point in time where it was like, um, I felt like my dad was always just angry, you know. Mm-hmm. And I never really understood why, you know, he would be so hard on me as, you know, the only boy. Um, but I realized that that it was a place where uh, out of love for how he was raised, you know, that was the best message that he was taught. And it was one of the things where if I do make a mistake, I would get so I'm now I'm so used to getting down on myself because um, you know, that's kinda how I was raised. Like if you made a mistake and, and especially something if I did do something wrong or I had no control over, it was some way, somehow always my fault. So I never really blamed anybody in relationships. Oh, you guys how I feel. I'll always blame myself. Mm-hmm. Um and always be super hard on myself and make excuses for the other person. Um so like like now I realize that you know I had to come come comes to grip because I always try to be like the perfect guy in school. I was known as the you know the good you know student athlete you know the church boy all that stuff and realize that that's the expectation I just cannot hold. Like high school mm-hmm. was pretty easy for whatever reason, but when I got to college and now it's like you, there's no way you can hold that that expectation. Um, so I realized that I am a human, you know, and I'm going to to make mistakes. Um, and it's kind of like, um, like how he said, I can't really just, I have to do what my desires, like I want to do versus, you know, what my parents think I should do or, or what they say I should do. Um, so it's something that I'm really still, you know, trying to grow in, realize that, you know, I'm a man now and I'm growing up and I can't use, I can't just blame myself in certain situations if she's unhappy with it and I gotta just do better and better and better. It's like, nah, sometimes we gotta unpack to see exactly what both we did wrong. Um, but then I can't put so much expectation on myself because of, of what, you know, my mom thinks or what my whatever uh, things about the men in my family. I can't be like, oh, I gotta be the savior of the Beagle and the Jackson side. Like, yeah. nah, it's not, 
I don't need to live with all that pressure. So something I'm still trying to develop and work in and not let those things affect women. Um, mm-hmm. Because I can, I used to give such an ego boost from women, and then I'll be fine, and you know, and then I'll, um, I feel bad. Uh, where's another one? Okay, there's another one, you know, kind of thing. So. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is when you say I'm trying to deal with those things so I don't have to give that to a partner. No matter where you are in your journey with your self-awareness or how you were raised, I really encourage clients to make a list of their fundamental um, inner talk. Like what, what is really, really not going to budge with them? So for me, it would be that I would take care of my own mood and I would never marry a man who wasn't as ambitious and who didn't have money or potential to make money. And I ended up following those because otherwise, if you, okay, so if you know those things, that will help you going forward because no matter where you are, you're your mind is really powerful and it is going to choose the person who can help you supposedly work out the issues that you have to work out so much so that once you once you work them out you may be resentful of her so a lot of times when people have bad relationships, they'll tell me what was wrong with their partner. And I'm like, hmm, well, that doesn't sound so bad. Like, mm. that sounds pretty good. And they're like, no, you know, I like I just moved past that, Mary Jo. Like, it's like we couldn't move past it. It's some old childhood hurt that the person brought into a new relationship. They weren't aware of it. They didn't know what their inner talk was, what they were so forthright about bringing in. They kind of let that go, and they met someone who could fix those broken parts of them. But once those broken parts started feeling better and healed, they grew very bored with the person. And then they're like, I don't think I'll ever be able to commit to one person. Like, I... You know, I just get bored after a while. It's because you're choosing people on your brokenness. Mm. No, that's that's amazing. And I think the first theme of this year has been, like, self-awareness. The second theme of this year has to be healing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it sounds as a very feminine thing to say, to, mm-hmm. to say, oh, you have to heal. Because the typical masculine bravado alpha male is I'm not hurt from anything, but that's erroneous. We mm-hmm. all we're all human beings. I think the biggest things that I pray that this show teaches people is that men and women are humans, and we feel the same exact way. And the the lies we get from society and from the media and cultures about how women are this way, men are that way, are just untruths. And we're both people. We and the same way women cry, men cry the same way. And so, a lot of guys who are hurting a little different than women. The guys who are hurting, they lash out in hurting other people, as you know. And the first person they hurt is themselves. I remember, and I'm rambling here, but I remember I was talking to somebody, and they were telling me that why do men abuse women? I say no. Before a man ever abuses a woman, he abuses himself. Mm-hmm. He hates himself. And because he hates himself, then he hates other people. It stems from a hate of himself. Guys who are alcoholics are not fools. They don't think like the alcohol is helping. They know it hurts them, but it's out of the hatred of themselves. This is the only way to cope from the pain is to continue to hurt myself. They continue doing it. You know, when they're abusing their kids, they're not just fools. They're not just oblivious to the pain that they're causing their kids. And so there's a hatred of self that comes from being deeply hurt. In men, and you just see it manifested differently, and men just aren't like you said. Society hasn't created a culture where men can do what Chris and I do consistently, and just be honest. Because for me, I just can't do what everybody else does. I've I've experienced hurt in different ways, not to the extreme of anyone experienced experienced it, but I experienced hurt so much where it's almost impossible for me to do with somebody else which then forces me to have to deal with it. I can't just use drugs or alcohol or women to numb my pain. I have to deal with it. And so the healing component is so pivotal 
in everybody's life. And mm-hmm. it's a journey and process that I'm currently on and Chris is on as well. So my question to you, Mary, is that what are some ways that you've coached clients or you've counseled clients who need to heal that has helped them heal? And obviously, this I know there's specifics and you're giving a general spill on it, but what are some tangible ways that you push people, tangible things you push people to do to encourage their healing process? Well, the first thing is what we're doing right now. You have to talk to people that you trust about what happened. 98% of all people who are abused were abused as children. Mm. That means that the self-hatred wasn't innate in them. It was taught to them. Someone hated them first. And so unless they can talk about it and reparent themselves, in other words, when you talk about it, you get validity. Someone goes, oh my God, that was terrible. Then you realize, and then usually that person will say, well, man, I got over it. You don't get over it like that. It takes years. I think secondly, second, just self care, doing those reparenting things, those re-loving, you can start affirmations. You can start by when you screw up changing what you normally say to yourself, re-talking it, like being proud of yourself that you took a risk. Tell yourself out loud. Have mirror time talk. That's when you look in a mirror and you just talk to yourself. You remind yourself of what you've been through, how courageous you are, how bold you are, how incredible... um, how incredibly masculine or feminine you've been to be able to step up to this mirror and tell the truth and not beat yourself up. Mirror talk is really important. And we we do teach women that a lot of times in healing, especially after attacks or rapes, we never teach men. And men are attacked and raped too. Mm. And that's one thing we just don't go. Why? Because there's a machismo about the society that guys are different. Guys just suck it up. It doesn't, I hear women all the time, it doesn't really matter to them. It matters. Men are as emotional as women. They just have a different way of expressing it. And we created that different way. Their wife created that different way. She she may not have created, it may have been set by his parents, but she contributed and enabled it. Um, taking time to cry and watching sad movies so you both can cry. Crying a release, even if it isn't about what the hurt was, really helps. It starts changing the brain chemistry. That's another way. And journaling. Journaling is so important because whatever you catharse on paper, it helps heal and change the brain patterns much more than if you just put it in your phone or talk about it. That's why a lot of my talk therapy is also having them write. I have a lot of times when I say, I want you to write exactly what you were thinking the first time whoever said that, that broke your heart. Mm, That's really good because something I realized, and I I know Chris kind of shared like how certain things affected me, but um, I am very sensitive to like feminine, um, is it anger? I guess it's anger. Anger like, like, Violence from women, and mm. I, I don't want to use the word violence. Mm. Uh, what's the word? What, what can I say? Anger, aggression, aggression, aggression female yeah. aggression, yeah. female yeah. aggression, yeah. female aggression really, really hurts me. It triggers tough. It triggers yeah. me, yeah. and and women hurt me in ways men just can't. Like mm-hmm. it's just like they really, really hurt me in ways that men just can't. Like you, he sees it all the time. I can get so devastated, and what I realized was. Going back to what you're saying, like going back to childhood, I was uh, I was abused by a lot of female babysitters when mm-hmm. I was younger. Um, I had a like my parents came to came from Nigeria to America. My dad had his brother here. My mother had nobody here, and so they were both working class people. So they just had to find 
people to babysit their children, but they didn't have money for daycares and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So they would have to get friends to babysit. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the friends, friends were women because, you know, Nigerian culture is a little bit different. Like, oh, you, there's a woman? Yeah, you can trust her. Mm-hmm. But America, the whole other beast, as most people know. So there's a lot of female babysitters that abused me um, when I was younger. And I realized that's, like, why things bother me so much today and why things negatively affect me so much today. So your point about going back to your childhood and seeing um, some of the pain points to be able to figure out what's going on in the present, it really, really resonates for what I went through. For you know, it's interesting when uh, men talk about what bothers them most in relationships. It's their partner's tone of voice, and I think a lot of that has to do with female aggression. And I, I've always thought, yes, if you had abusive women in your life, that would certainly be true. You would. You would, you would really be sensitive to it. But also if you've loved women all your life and you had a loving mother and loving sisters, you put more emphasis, like you give them more power, more trust. Mm-hmm. It's like for me, the first time that man abused me or hurt me, I, I had already, without knowing because of my father, given men so much more trust. Mm-hmm. So when he did that, it hurt me in a way that, not physically, but emotionally, it was like when 911 happened. You know how we all felt like, oh my God, no, not, not us, not the mm-hmm. U.S. Like we'll forever be scarred. Mm-hmm. That's how it felt. And I think... For you, Hafiz, that's what you're saying. It's scarring. Mm-hmm. Like it it just takes you off your, you know, your stance. It it takes you a while to get your breath and come back and trust again. Yeah. Yeah, I was I, I can definitely relate. Um yeah, it was when I gave like giving that someone that power over someone, mm-hmm. like this was my last relationship, I didn't realize how much power I gave her with her words. So it was kind of like a like she kind of had the same same power as my father. Mm-hmm. So what she said would like really gave me my identity. So if it was good things my dad would say or she would say, then I would be happy. But when it was time to flame me up and get on me and like verbally abuse, however you want to say it, that crushed me a lot of the time. So I didn't understand. I didn't really get it until after I got out of the relationship. That I was like, man, like the power I give women over somebody that or someone that I let them speak identity to myself, you know, is crucial. So it's one of the things that I'm still kind of working on. Like, I have to give my own identity or say what God says about me and let that be the way I receive how I love myself and my identity rather than the words of other people. Yeah, but Chris, that's really, I mean, I I get that, Mm -hmm. but that's really hard because when you're in a relationship where you love someone so much, like, you know, that's what I think is the most loving, that's the greatest thing about a relationship. I, you, you are with someone and they give you their power and you give them your power, not totally, but so much of it that if something happens, you're devastated. Mm -hmm. Personally, I like that. And my husband I've given him that. And if he says something that is real hurtful, he knows it because I tell him it affects me like no other person. And I think sometimes if you're not in a relationship or you're, you know, you just are out in the world and you know you have these sensitivities, you have to protect yourself and say, you know, I'm very... I'm sensitive to this, and so I'm going. I'm going to try my best when I hear this to note it, but to let it pass over. And at those times, I would just journal about it because when someone is aggressive to you, the more you say, the worse it is. It just keeps digging deeper, and they find more vitriol to use against you. And before you know it, you're like. I hate this person. Like, and once that word comes out, it's over. Mm-hmm. So I think it's, I think it's happening in our society. I see it all the time. We're so misunderstanding. Nobody listens anymore. I mean, I, you know, you guys are like my brothers. 
I can tell you I can go out on the street and if somebody walks toward me and he looks like he's going to hurt me, it can cloud everything I have with you guys and every other person, every other man I'm close to. And that, unfortunately, is what happens when something bad happens. Our brain remembers it so much more. It's like a survival tactic. Mm. How do you get over that? It's really hard, Hafiza, because basically it's your brain's way of keeping you safe. It's like when your boss tells you, gives you a report, and most of it is good, but they said a couple bad things. Well, you, most of us give our boss more power than just somebody walking down the street. So our brain automatically remembers that, and that just depends on how able you are to come back with positive self-talk. Well, they said all this other stuff. I am in a position where I could do this. Like part of the reason women are aggressive, I think, is because they feel like their side isn't being represented and some man hurt them. Yeah, because even I, like you mentioned, that reminds me of the last girl I dated. Um, not the last girl I dated, but the last relationship I was in. I remember at the beginning being so afraid of doing something and making her leave. And um, and that that has always been like a, a fear of mine. Like you said, it's like the survival, like, like this bear in the woods is going to come at any moment kind of instinct of paranoia where it's like, I always think this person is going to leave. You know, so like when I asked you, like, what do you do to get over it? Because I see like I can only imagine other people have experiences like that where it cripples them. Like you can't really like, I can't really enjoy, you know, other people's company because my thought is like, when are they going to leave? Like, when yeah. are they going to go? When are you when are you when are you going to go? And so I was just like, man, like what what can you do to not just be paralyzed by that? by that fear well one of the things and that is a common fear by the way and that i i believe that's why men lie i believe that's mm. why they lie because they're they're afraid that the person's going to leave that she's going to leave and they're afraid that if she doesn't leave she'll find out and see what a crumb like most guys feel like they're undeserving of the person they're with oh man I tell you, it is, it's like a guy thing. I don't know why. They're like, I don't deserve her. And I'm like, what? Mm -hmm. I think it's part of that fear. It feeds into it. Like, she's going to leave. I know she's going to leave when she knows the truth, when she really sees who I really am. Mm. What you can do is sit down together, like on the third date. Wait until, because it'll be weird on the first date. (laughs) So on the third, (laughs) yeah, third or fourth date, you go, you know, let's talk about what kinds of things are so deep in our core that if we did them to the other person, the other person would leave. A lot of men find relief with this. So you make a list and, you know, usually the partner's like, what? It's like, you know, I just... I just want to know where your values are. That's a nice way to say it. And so you each write down like what your bottom line is. What comes out, don't let them get away with five. Say we need at least 10 things that would, most of them will say, well, if you lie, if you, everybody lies. Mm -hmm. But I want to know where that is. Like, where is that line? If I told you about it, if I lied first and then I said it, um, because when they do that, somehow the guy kind of has a guide plan. Men like security with guides. Like they like they like facts because that helps them with with solving problems. Yeah, That's not, how their mind no is white. Yeah, yeah, there's no murky, like yeah. wishy-washy, like you could change the lines. Yeah, right, right. And I see that that, and plus, it makes the woman feel valued. Or the guy, if it's the same sex. The, the other person feels valued by it. Mm. That's an interesting like, wow, thing. They, he, really, he really wants to know. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you can't be, uh, you can't be an astral world trying to ask that question. Yeah, <laughs> like you have to, right. You have to be at least aware that you have values or things that would make you feel totally humiliated. What are, what are your thoughts on people who say that sometimes with women... 
like not to trust their words but to trust their actions because they may not be as truthful as you would like them to be? How do you feel about that? Well, I think both sexes lie, okay. first of all. I don't think women lie any more than men, okay. and I don't think men lie any more than women. But as a general rule, I don't listen to people very much. Yeah. I watch them. Yeah. I'm always watching. And they're looking at their phone. I'm watching. Yeah. I really enjoy watching people because I get a very, a very clear sense of who they are. And I don't mean just watching them when they say hi. I watch them how they are with other people. I can find out even more then. Mm. No, that's good. So, that's and good. you can't watch them 24-7 because you don't live near them or whatever. But you can kind of, you can get it if you really listen. That's good. So in closing, <laughs> what would be your advice to the people listening right now who want to improve, they want to grow, they want to heal, they want to be more honest, they want to experience self-awareness, what would you say is the first step that they, should, that they can take today that can help lead them on the right path to this journey? Well, the first thing, if you're going to really go for self-awareness, is you have to limit your social media and your phone because it's impossible. It's like serving. You can't serve two masters. You can't, you can't serve two masters with, it, with this either. You can't say, I want self-awareness, and then look at your phone when you're bored or look at your phone when you're feeling awkward or look at your phone when you're feeling like nobody loves you. You have to face that. Not feeling loved, feeling lonely, and feeling joyless are part of the human conditions, and you need to be able to accept that. You're not supposed to be happy all the time. The actual, I would tell people that it is absolutely true that if you are going to be self-aware, you will not be happy. Mm. You can forget that. If you're going to be self-aware, you are on a journey of finding out who you are, being grateful, strengthening your weaknesses, and not being necessarily stronger and, you know, fault-free, but you will be aware of what you're doing, and that will give you a freedom like you've never had. It'll be easier to give others grace. Mm. I think the most important th person you need to have a good relationship with is yourself. Mm. Because nobody else can give that to you. That's amazing. That's amazing. And, whew. <laughs> as a disclaimer to our, to our, our listeners, I think Hafiz and I, we definitely have these conversations not only for ourselves, but, you know, for you all as well. So don't let this conversations or any other podcast really just, you know, go one ear and out the other. Make sure we have applications and we take steps to better ourselves, better our families, and better the world. So, Mary Jo, where can people reach you at? Well, there's a lot of different places. The best place is my website. It's maryjorapini.com, and that's M-A-R-Y-J-O-R-A-P-I-N-I. -I. I'm on Instagram at Mary Jo Rapini and Twitter at Mary Jo Rapini and Facebook at Mary Jo Rapini LPC. And um, I would love to hear from you. And I did want to add that when you're self-aware, if you don't like the person you find out you are, that's okay. Like, don't get down on yourself. When you practice self-awareness and truly shutting off all social media, the radio and everything else, and just start looking in a mirror and asking yourself who you really are, what parts do you like, what parts do you need to strengthen, you should, you should have a good full sheet of paper to write about. There should be things you don't like about yourself. That means you're healthy. That's actually the best sign of mental health I can think of, to find faults and to find also great strengths within yourself. I love it. I love, love it. it. So, guys, be sure to reach out to Mary Jo as usual. Let her know what about the podcast has stood out to you and what really impacts your life. My name is Hafiz. Chris, baby. And we are joined by the one and only Mary Jo Rapini. And we are the roommates and <laughs> adios. Adios.